and welcome to Coach Cast by England Football Learning, the brand new coaching podcast designed to give you expert insights, session ideas and a platform to discuss your coaching questions and challenges. I'm Jamie. And I'm Louise. In each episode of this series, one of our experts will dissect a specific topic and then speak to a grassroots coach with the aim of helping them and you develop more skillful players. So today we're going to be talking about the skill of moving with the ball. And we're delighted to be joined online by not just one, but two experts today to take us through this important topic. It's Suey Smith and Vinny Household. Suey, Vinny, welcome to the show. Afternoon and thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be along and join you guys today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourselves and your roles at the FA? We'll go to Suey first. Yes, so I started 13 years ago as FA skills coach, so working predominantly with 5 to 11-year-olds, so out on the grass, sports hall, primary schools. Um, And more recently, I am now FA coach development officer, looking after the women and girls, female coaches um, in the North East. Lovely. And how about yourself, Vinny? So my role is a very bespoke one. It's within the FA PE team. Uh, I've been part of that uh, team for the last six years, and um, prior to that, I did do a little bit of tutoring part-time for the uh, for the FA. But uh, yeah, very much specifically around supporting teachers and trainee teachers. Well, to start, can you explain what do we mean by moving with the ball and how can we help players to do it? Yeah, I guess as times evolve, moving with the ball can look very differently from 10 years ago to now. So again, when we're looking at... Um, Technical components, moving with the ball could be running with the ball, dribbling and turning. Um, And and for us, it's to help our players to become comfortable with the ball. And I guess before they even have the ball, they've got to manoeuvre their body and learn how to shift body weight from left to right and change direction and really have those key fundamentals built in before we get them involved with a football does moving with the ball look different depending on a player's playing position? Yeah, for sure. It is um, it is position specific, but I think more importantly, it is, um, it is very unique to the individual child and the individual player and also the age and stage that the players are at. So moving with the ball for a youngster, seven, eight years of age, is very different to moving with the ball when you're 17 or 18 years of age. And I think it's really important that we recognise when we are developing this topic uh, that it is the activities that we design have got to be age appropriate. I think that's really important. Suey, can you think of any footballers who would showcase uh, some of the techniques well with moving with the ball? Like, would be a good example for kids to learn from? Yeah, I'd actually say Vinny, but they've not got any footage of Vinny playing football. (laughs) Um, But when we look at current players, uh, both in the male and female game, so you've got obviously uh, currently uh, Phil Foden and Jack Grealish, who are very comfortable at driving the ball forward um, and having that ball moving uh, around interference. So when we talk about interference with opposition, whether it's one defender or potentially three, they're very confident at moving and, and shifting the ball with opposition. And then in the female game, you might look at someone like Lucy Bronze, who moving with the ball is bigger touches to, to get into that space. So predominantly, she plays right back um, for club and country. 
So you're looking at her around moving the ball while she's actually trying to shift it higher up the pitch to, to create an attack. And Vinny, is moving with the ball a key skill? And if so, why would that be? Yes, Louise, it really is. And most fundamentally, it's around the fact that when uh, our players have possession of the ball, we want them to actually enjoy being in possession. And they can only do that if they actually feel confident and competent in terms of moving with the ball. And as Sui's already referenced, that can look very, very different at different points in the game. So it might be moving with the ball into big spaces, what we call running with the ball. It might be actually trying to manoeuvre the ball in tighter areas, which might be dribbling or turning. So there's so many different technical facets to it. And also later on, we'll touch upon the uh, the four corner elements as well. So, yeah, a really massive area of work that we need to get right uh, for all of our coaches, particularly working with our young players. Stereotypically with younger players, at the start of their journey, they're probably more or less likely to be drawn to the ball and have a focus on having it at the feet. So is moving with the ball a skill that comes naturally or is, is practised naturally uh, because that's what they're wanting to do? And if so, how can we harness their desire to move with the ball? Yeah, I guess it's the age and stage of their development. So younger children, um, especially, like to be selfish, as we call them. So it's their ball and only their ball. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're a selfish player. That's just at the development stage, um, especially when you, you can start coaching five, six, seven-year-olds. In terms of what we want to to get out of them as, as coaches is we want to try and keep them to become confident and positive in travelling and moving with the ball. I guess, and, and, I've, and I've actually been one of those coaches many years ago where I've almost told them to pass. And actually, I've trained moving with the ball out of them because I want them to pass because I can see it, an opportunity. However, we need to really encourage them to, to, to take on players and be confident and positive and stop from the sideline shouting pass when we see it as adults. Um, let them make their own decisions and give them an environment where if they don't choose to pass and they do want to move with the ball and travel with it, if they lose possession, still encourage them. And then as they get older then to talk to them about decision-making of do I move with the ball or do I pass it? Um, but certainly try not to coach that out of them because that's that's it within them um, as they're learning the game to be selfish and want to have the ball. So as you're doing that and as they're learning, is it important for them to be able to do it successfully, to have good physical literacy skills, Vinny? Yeah, absolutely, Jamie. And I think um, even prior to those physical literacy skills, it's actually that ability to... Um, to make decisions through recognising spaces. So it's actually a perceptual thing in the psychological corner. And uh, to that end, I talk to uh, a lot of the coaches and the teachers that I work with to encourage the children to play like meerkats, encouraging the children to play with the head up to what we call scan, check shoulders, whatever terminology you want to use. I think that's really, really important. And just one final piece around that, working with our youngest players, uh, as we know, they will actually immediately, when the ball's at feet, they will put their head down. And therefore, it's important to scaffold their learning by initially working on those physical literacy skills in terms of their uh, their agility, balance, coordination. But then also working with the ball in hand. And that way, they're actually working on their movement skills whilst also starting to master the ball. Just to um, clarify, is physical literacy is that kind of just an awareness of the body and, like you say, the balance and what have you? Or is it something else? How would we define that? 
Uh, it's exactly as you said, Louise, uh, and I'd also bring in again that psychological element in terms of the confidence around their own movements. Uh, so when we talk about literacy generally, it's often children who are confident to actually to, to read and to write and physical literacy has that confidence element in there as well. So it's important that when we design our practices, we give the children, the young players, the opportunity to build up that confidence, maybe through 1v1, 1v2, 2v2 type practices. I guess as well, when we talk around that, um, what Vinny spoke about is, is ABC, so agility, balance, coordination, and, and rightly so from Vinny in terms of if they can get that right first at a younger age, the confidence for them to have it with a ball at the feet would be brilliant. So tag games is a really good way to encourage that physical literacy and the ABCs to help them build it. Okay, um, and then... What other skills do players need to be successful at moving with the ball and how can we help develop them? Yeah, I guess I kind of just answered my own question around the ABCs. Um, but around to, to, to make more skillful players, as we call them, uh, we want them to be confident and positive. And again, dribbling with the ball, turning, um, all the little things of having decision making that when to pass, when to shoot um, will help the player. So putting them in environments where, and like Vinice alluded to, 1v1, it could be even one against two, depending on the ability of the players and the confidence. Um, but to, to, to work on those, away from the technical aspect, so we'd look at the psych and the social corners um, of that four-corner model, we want them to be good at decision-making as well. And, and what we mean by that is not just around when to pass and when to dribble, but if they're coming up against an opponent, to work out the weaknesses of that opponent. So what side are they weaker on? Well, I'll take I'll take the left side as the weakest side and I'll try and look to exploit the right-hand side of that defender because I know that they're weak at shifting the body um, and, and things like that. So not only are players, we want players to be confident in themselves, but we want them to make decisions based on the opposition. Am I stronger than him or her? Faster than him or her? And actually, how can I beat that player? So what part of my foot might I use to shift the ball? So, again, it's a lot more around the four corner than it is just a technical in moving with the ball. Vinny, you alluded to it a little bit back with Meerkatch being able to look up and scan. How can you help players do that and to be more comfortable on the ball in, 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 in to be able to look up and, and have a look what's around them so that they, they know what they can do next? Yeah, I think uh, for that one, Jamie, it's all around creative practice design. Um, but again, depending on the age and stage of, uh, of players that you're working with, uh, the practice design might be that you change things up. We talk about the step principle and it might be that we actually provide enough space uh, for the players to work in, whereby they will feel confident to actually get their head up while they're manipulating the ball with their feet. Uh, it might be that we actually change the number of players. So, for example, if you're working initially uh, with six players, you might have that as a, naturally a 3v3, but you might change that up into a 4v2 because actually two players are forging ahead and they're much more confident already uh, having the ball at the feet. So it's just being creative and really understanding the step principle is such a simple concept, but it's how you actually apply that in a coaching environment. That's the key. So when kind of what age range would you, at what point in the age range would you be wanting to develop scanning skills? Is it is it straight away? Yeah, and again, it might be something as simple as um, 
foxes and, and hounds or sharks and fishes where they have a bib at the, the back of the the shorts that's tucked in or just something like that so they can check the shoulder to see where that catcher is and, and things like that. So, again, make it relevant to their needs. So a five-year-old doesn't need to know how to scan because there's a um, a ball being played or something like that. It's in their world. It's There's someone trying to catch them and get the bib off them. So it's as simple as that. It's just around, think of games where they might have to check the shoulder and start to drip feed that information in. And as they get older they'll be able to take in more technical and tactical information. Vinny, in the modern game now, there's more of a focus on things like playing out from the back, playing in tight areas and having the ball for much longer times, periods of times. But of course, the longer you're on the ball, of course, there's more of a risk for the team that's in possession. So how important is it that coaches create an environment where players feel safe and they're encouraged to stay on the ball and move with it while they're under pressure? Yeah, I think I'll kick that one off, no pun intended. Uh, with the idea of loving the ball, loving the game. I think right from that, those early years, uh, we've got to encourage our youngsters to to do exactly that. Uh, and I think um, for me, uh, I've been coaching now back in the grassroots game myself, away from the day job for the last six years. And it's right from those early ages of the, the youngsters playing 5v5. And of course, the game design, the match day experience needs to mirror what we do in practice sessions as well. And the beauty of it is, of course, uh, when we're playing mini soccer 5v5, 7v7, then the rules for those formats of the game allow the children to have time on the ball. So, for example, at goal kicks, there's the retreat line. And therefore, that should be encouraging all grassroots coaches to say to their young goalkeepers, pass the ball out from the back. Yeah, try and play to somebody in a wide area or somebody's in space. Uh, of course, once we then move from uh, 77 into 99, it's starting to become a bit more like the adult game and the retreat line disappears. And that, to me, is the real crunch point that as coaches, we need to keep our behaviours consistent to say, keep trying to look after the ball, keep trying to play out from the back. Not for the sake of just copycatting what the senior players do, but actually the ball is precious. And if we can look after the ball and if we can move with the ball comfortably, We'll work our way up the pitch and do the bit that we enjoy most, which is scoring goals. As we move through the age groups then, like how can we make sure it's appropriate for, for different age groups, but still being able to progress and maybe getting a little bit more advanced? Yeah, so again, with the younger age groups, you, you almost want them to have more chances of dribbling, but against um, more more opposition. So could be a ball each, but with only one defender in there. So you could have 10, 10 players with a ball each and, and one or two defenders in a square that they've got to try and get past. And that kind of helps them because they can use other players to distract them from that defender. So again, they've got a little bit more breathing space and that defender doesn't necessarily always have to go against that, that attacker. As they get older, you're looking at them changing. So it could be that it's 1v1. So you've got that one attacker with, with the ball, moving with the ball, but is faced up against that one defender. So again, it, it's quite hard to get past them. Um, they've got to really be confident going, how do I get the ball past this player? As they get older as well, you might be looking at different practices that lends itself to defenders. So you might have one attacker who's moving the ball against two or three defenders. Now, Again, you'll know the needs of your players because some players will thrive off that challenge 
but giving them too early, it might not the confidence, they might not enjoy it, might not want to come back. But when you see, obviously, players like Jack Grealish taking on three players, it is in the game. And especially when you're up front, it might be that you're playing a 4-4-2 and you're playing against a back four plus a goalkeeper. So in theory, that that attacker, if they've got the ball, they're up against four defenders plus a goalkeeper to try and score a goal. So if we can expose the older players to environments that lends itself that actually probability of the defenders winning it is higher, brilliant. But there's also a trade-off. If we do that too much or too soon, we'll start to lose a player's confidence and that belief in themselves. So it's around that balancing juggling act of knowing what your players need at what point, but start to play again against the different defenders as they get older. How do you get players used to moving with the ball when equipment and space is limited? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I guess it's just around tight areas. So again, like Vinny said, encouraging moving with the ball, it might be that, again, you just build a square, a rectangle, potentially a triangle, because it gives you a different option in terms of areas and spaces within a triangle. Um, It's just around, look, you don't need a goal. So you might actually play um, line line ball games. So instead of having a goal to score in, you just have a, a little pitch. It could be 3v3, depending on the age of, of your group. And to score, they have to run the ball over the line. So obviously then you're practising your, your session title, your topic of moving with the ball. And they're getting more repetition because that's how they score a goal. So I'd recommend building shapes to, to practise into first off and then at a game, whether it's at the start or the end, it's just line ball games because you have that repetition of moving with the ball but scoring a goal at the same time. Now, with sessions, I know with younger groups, you know, we don't want to encourage having set goalkeepers. Obviously, set positions, we want players to be able to experience all the positions on the pitch. Um, but in particular, when they're older, how important is it that goalkeepers do get involved with sessions? And, and if it is important, how do you do that? Yeah, absolutely. Crucial, isn't it, that our goalkeepers are comfortable with the ball at their feet? Uh, again, if we uh, try and um, take the experiences that we see at the top level, uh, some of our best passes of the ball are our goalkeepers. Um, I think going back to just creative practice design, but more importantly here, I think we need to be, as the youngsters move into those teenage years, and in fact, I'd always advocate it for younger age groups, uh, game-related practices are so, so important And it may well be that you actually design a practice whereby um, you insist, um, we often call it the constraint-led approach, that your goalkeeper is actually involved in the build-up to actually scoring a goal. Um, I often talk about going backwards to go forwards. Penetration, playing forward is an important part of the game, a key principle. But sometimes we've got to go backwards to go forwards. So, yeah, incorporating our goalkeeper in everything that we do uh, right from our arrival activities and our warm-ups, but also being creative with our practice design. And as I say, shining a light specifically on game-related practices because that brings the realism for, for our, whether it be our five-year-olds, our 15-year-olds or our 25-year-olds. If it's a game-related practice, that really does help to accelerate their learning. Okay, well, to summarise, what would your top tips be for coaches working on moving with the ball? I'll go first. In terms of the coach, set the right environment because we have to, as coaches, understand that if we want to encourage our players to be confident in moving with the ball, expect some mistakes. 
expecting that they might lose possession. So what is your coaching mannerism going to be like um, if that happens? Because at training, we might actually really encourage moving with the ball. But when it's a game environment, our mannerisms and coaching values may, may change because of the score or the pressure from potentially the sideline. So if we can mirror our coaching um, mannerisms, training and match day, to encourage them to, to move with the ball, but also just confirm with them that it's okay to, to lose the ball because there's always a risk. Um, so maintain your coaching values and beliefs for both training and match day to help players gain confidence in moving the ball. Set the right environment. So understand your players' needs. So again, the age and stage of their de development, if they're moving with the ball over 40 yards and they're five years old, we need to tailor the size, shorten it up because actually they only need to, to play in short and small areas. Our practices should be small-sided and small-numbered, uh, especially for our young players. Um, Decision-making. We can't make, or our youngsters, our teenage players, our adult players, can't make good decisions unless they play with their heads up and develop that awareness. And so earlier I referenced Meerkats. It is my go-to because I think it's such an easy way to explain to people the importance of playing with your head up scanning to see what the options are, checking shoulders, having a good body position, uh, it's all in there. So I think that will hopefully help our coaches to put things out onto the grass in their next coaching session. Now, this is the part of the show where we're joined by a grassroots coach. We'll hear about their experiences so far and find out what coaching challenge they're currently facing. Our experts will then hopefully be able to provide them with the guidance they need. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Lewis from Hull. Hi, Lewis. Welcome to the show. Hey, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you very much. Hi, Lewis. Thanks for joining us. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your coaching journey so far? Yeah, I've been doing coaching for around four years now. I started a girls football team, uh, under eight. Um, my daughter wanted to get into football. I'm massively passionate. I've been playing football all my life. Um, and I wanted to try and bring something back to our local area and, and try and bring girls football up. Um, and I just took over recently, six months ago, a women's team as well. So can you tell us what coaching challenge you're currently facing? Yeah, uh, probably the biggest thing for me and it, for, for young for the younger generation so much is um, the development gap, uh, especially around where the children are progressing. Some are progressing at a higher standard, a little bit quicker, uh, where, the, where we've got other girls that have been probably playing as, as long as the, the girls I've got now, but maybe not progressing and developing as quick as some, some of the other children that I've got. So that's probably the one of the key challenges I find on a, on a weekly basis, keeping them motivated and stimulated is probably the right word to use in terms of progressing their footballing ability and keeping them motivated to play. So trying to d develop drills on a weekly basis that keeps them going, but also doesn't make the the players that are maybe not at their level yet, the the other girls, keep them motivated and not feel so downhearted that they can't do what other, other girls do yet. So that's probably my biggest challenge so far is as they're getting older, there's a, there's a bit of a bridge appearing. So probably, yeah, it's probably my key one, to be honest. So again, Lewis, nice to have you and, and hearing some of your challenges that you face. I think when we talk about moving with the ball, um, and especially you're right, in grassroots, predominantly there's so many differences between boys and girls as, as the ages. Um, because of the age and stage that each individual player 
kind of their rating growing and developing. Um, there's so much differentiation. And that's not just in football, that's in any walk of life. Um, and, and Vinny, you can touch on around the teaching aspect and, and that in, in schools, which would be great. I think we've got not to be too hard on ourselves um, in terms of, of what we plan, but using the step principle and, and understanding our players um, as much as we can will help us plan. So that step principle for anyone that's listening, it's around changing the space, task, equipment and the players. So when we talk about moving with the ball, there's some great games where they can have a ball each, whether it's tag, skills corridor, the great escape. Um, and a lot of the games that are on the boot room around moving the ball it is great. But the art of coaching is how to differentiate the players. So some tips that might help you, Lewis, as you, you go back and coach your girls would be around don't be afraid to, to make different areas. So you might have a square, a triangle and a rectangle. And we talk about moving with a ball and having defenders in their zones. Well, we know that a square has equal sides. So the space is pretty equal. But as when we look at like a triangle, you might start to think about where's the smallest area and it's at the tip at the top of the triangle. So again, you might start to think about, instead of always using a square, I'm going to use a triangle. I'm going to challenge my better players to stay at the highest point in the triangle and take on those defenders in those areas. The players that potentially have got a lesser football age, um, and that's because that's what we call them, they, they might be the same age, but the football playing age is, is different. Yeah. They might want to stay at the bottom of the triangle because there's, there's more space. There might be more player to try and distract that one defender as well. Um, and then it's around those question and answers to your players. So if you know there's a player that potentially is is struggling or coping to, to, to keep up with the session, give her an individual challenge. So whether it's saying to her, do you think you'd be more comfortable at the bottom end of the triangle because there's more space, give you more confidence? Um, but certainly that, that one-to-one advice um, yeah. and that, that kind of intervention of coaching as the game's going on. And then the flip side of that, your better players will also need support because they'll get bored if they're not challenged. So, again, it could be that instead of them putting against one defender, you flip it so that one one player who's moving with the ball goes against two two defenders because we, we've wrapped up the challenge. And if you create the environment right, the players that are potentially striving and the players that are coping and the players that are struggling to keep up, you give them choices. Well, you start wherever you feel comfortable with this session. So, it's yeah. a game, if it's a game of tag and in a triangle, if you're comfortable, start the highest. But when they start, and as, as you're the coach, when you start to observe some of their body language and they might feel a lot, or you might be able to see that they're struggling, it's actually, would you be better at the bottom end of the triangle, more space? So yeah. it's, around, it's around that for me, around differentiation, that step principle. Yeah. No, thanks for that. Appreciate that. Just uh, just picking up on that. Um, just tell me a little bit more. Sui's just referenced there about it being age appropriate. And if you jump on the boot room, you'll actually see top tips uh, for moving with the ball. And it's yes. a piece that I put together. Um, and I started with the, it's actually an A to F, A, B, C, D, E, F, and the A is age appropriate. So what age group are your girls? Uh, they're currently under 11. Okay, fabulous. And so typically in a practice session, uh, so under 11s, you're playing uh, nine aside at the moment? Yeah, yeah nine aside, yeah. So what have you got, a squad of 12, 14? Uh, 14 at the moment, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. So, you know, if we just delve into the real world of a practice session on a Tuesday night, I think for me, um, making sure that you give the girls lots of 
game time opportunity within practice sessions. We talk about game time on a match day, but actually being creative with your practice design so that they look and feel like games. So I'm thinking there is your numbers at 14 and straight away I'm thinking, Do you know what, I'm going to have an eight and I'm going to have a six. And we're going to play a game of 4v4 and a game of 3v3. And the game could be as simple as end zones. So if we're talking about the topic of moving with the ball, playing end zones, as you well know, haven't played for, for many years, as you've referenced, you need to keep control of the ball. But more importantly, all of the children, all of the girls will need to play with their heads up so they yeah. can pick the right time to run with the ball. Now, that 3v3 game, that might be for your girls who are not quite as advanced as the others, and therefore they've got the smaller numbers. The 4v4, it might be that even within that context, you've got three girls who really are your high flyers. So change it up using the step principle and turn that into a 5v3. So those three more able players, they're going to get loads more opportunity to move with the ball, but it's going to be a bigger challenge because they've got five defenders to deal with. So just some really simple things. I work as a grassroots coach as well when I'm not wearing this badge. And they're the sort of things that I've worked with over the last three or four years, particularly as we enter these difficult uh, months with the weather being uh, poor and obviously uh, conditions being such that we want the girls to have as much game and activity time as possible. Yeah. No, thanks for that, Vincent. Appreciate it. Thank you. Lewis, have you got any other, uh, any other questions or any other challenges you want to run by uh, Vinny and Sui while you're here? When you're doing dribbling, it's quite a struggle to do various drills with dribbling that are not all the same kind of thing. Is there any ones that you've got that you could do that could share or could talk me through? So again, with anything, as long as there's an element of fun, motivation and winning and losing, so that competition, how you manage that winning and losing, it keeps players engaged. Um, yeah. But at the same time, the competition has to be able to, to meet all the needs of the players. So... One thing that's really good for on dribbling, and it's, it's almost three levels. So you've got three rectangles that, that join into each other. Yeah. But you might have, so level one is two defenders, but the rectangle is a little bit bigger. And they have to escape at the top of the rectangle through one of the goals. And there's two goals at the top. And again, every time you escape a level, you get a point. So your maximum points is three. And then you get to go again, but there's a time limit. Now, at the same time, it's a bit, a bit like deal or no deal, you can bank your points. So if, for example, Lewis and Vinny, you was playing in my session, you've got a ball each, you've got to get through the levels in his 30 seconds to try and get as many points. So level one is just two gates and two defenders, for example. Level two might be a smaller rectangle and only one gate, but, but one defender as well. So it's harder. And level three might be... Um, one gate and three defenders, so even harder. So again, they've got a choice of going which one. Now, you don't have to get through all three. So what you could do is if you're comfortable at level one and you get a success, you can leave by the side of the rectangle and bank that point. So for Vinny, he might be one of my players that potentially is not so confident but likes level one because it's, it's good for him, builds his confidence. He might get the point, but then escape at the side for level two. He starts the game again, but he's got one point and he's banked it. And that's that decision-making and risk and reward are going. The more times when he does that and he starts banking one point, he might eventually go, do you know what? I've got a bit of confidence now. I might try and get through that level two 
and then bank my points at the end. So it's, it's giving players decisions to go, if you can get to the top, brilliant, you get three points. Or you might even go, you get 10 points. It's like multiple, multiple points. But the decision is, if I, if I don't feel confident, I'm not going to take on that defender. I'm going to escape at the side, bank my points and go. Yeah. Um, so that's a really good game in terms of it's player ownership, where they feel comfortable, also their ability. But for you as a coach, that's when you might start doing some individual coaching with your girls to go, actually, I've noticed that you've been banking level one quite a lot. I think you've got the skill and the ability, especially keeping it close, to try now to get past level two, because I've been watching you, and then start to ask some questions around tactics. So actually, if there's more than one attacker trying to get through that gate, what's happening to the defender? Well, they're being occupied, brilliant, and that's your opportunity to sneak through. So you've got some coaching points that you can put in. But again, for that, that dribbling game, and it might be if you get to the end, instead of getting points, you get to score in a goal, because everyone loves to score. Yeah. Um, and then you could put them in after 30 seconds, find a partner, tell them your score, brilliant. Can you beat your partner's score? Or more importantly, can you beat your own score the, the, first, the, the next time? Yeah. So you, they're playing against themselves, potentially sharing the points with a partner who they've got to try and beat. And if there's some goals at the end of level three, that's the ultimate reward. Go scoring a goal because kids, adults, don't matter how old you are, love scoring a goal at the end of it. So, again, little things like that, but putting levels in where players make decisions based on what's in front of them. Thanks, Zoe. Appreciate that. Yeah, I'm picking up on that, Lewis, going back to the whole idea of scoring goals. I mentioned earlier that I'm a great believer in games-based practice rather than drills. Uh, And so uh, one of my go-to games is called with to win. So as we know, uh, having with as we attack with the ball is really important. It's a key principle of the game. So essentially, it's your rectangular pitch. There are goals at both ends. And again, with your girls, you could have this as a 7v7. So it could feel like a a bit of a a proper, uh, realistic match day environment. Uh, And then maybe three metres in from each of the touch lines, maybe using your marker spots rather than cones, you can actually create two channels. And essentially, if a player receives the ball in that channel, going back to the whole idea of moving with the ball initially, they might have five seconds of freedom to travel up that channel. Now, of course, for your high flyers, you might only give them three seconds. And after that three seconds, a defender can go in and then it becomes a 1v1. So it goes from moving with the ball in open spaces into actually tighter areas. Uh, so that's a really nice activity that um, that I use. I say it's called with to win. It's super yeah. easy to set up. And of course, the girls are getting that game time again, playing on you know that familiar context. It's a rectangular pitch um, and you can increase the challenges. And as Sue said earlier, you can do that individualised coaching as well because the game will look after itself. And that's where you can do your little drive-by coaching. Uh, and I'll give one further example. You might have a really advanced player who travels nicely with the ball of that channel. And whenever they want to leave that channel, you'll give them a challenge of combining with a one-two. Yeah. So they actually lend the ball to a teammate, get high up the pitch, play a little one-two, smash it in the top corner. Everybody's happy. So with to win. And I'm happy to share a resource uh, showing you an example of how that's set up. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Vinny. How was everything for you, Lewis? Is that some good advice? You happy with that? Yeah, some really good stuff. And thank you both for your time. Uh, really good. Some good insight and some good ideas to take back to the girls. So obviously, keep progressing them. So thanks again. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Lewis. Um, so hopefully, uh, you'll be able to put that into action at your next session. 
We're coming up to the end of the episode now, but before we blow the full-time whistle, we're going to trial a little feature we like to call Swift Session. This is where we challenge our guests to come up with a session idea that relates to the theme of the episode. We're looking for something that's based on moving with the ball. It's fun, engaging, and gives players a chance to be skillful. It can involve any number of activities, but you'll only have 30 seconds to explain your ideas. Are you up to the challenge, Vinny and Suey? I think you're going to try and collaborate, aren't you, on this one? We are, yes. Oh, yes. All right, let's get the timer ready. Okay, so we've got 30 seconds, starting from now. Skills Corridor. So it was from the FA Youth Award many years ago. Really simple to set up. All you need is six cones to mark out a rectangle. So you can have three lanes in that rectangle or just one. Players can start with or without a ball. If they start without a ball, encourage them to play like a meerkat by moving up the area and identifying the spaces. As they can travel through the three lanes, the next challenge would... <gasps> That's the 30 second. All right, okay. Was there anything left that you feel like you need to add? The next challenge would be get some defenders in and encourage them to move with the ball. Fabulous. That sounds like a great session for people to try out. So, before we finish the show, do you have any last key messages for coaches to take away? Yeah, I'll give you three. Uh, For me, it's keep it simple. Know your players. Don't be afraid to put a challenge in as well. Brilliant. Well, there's some great points there and this episode has been full and I will say it full of gold dust today, I will say. (laughs) It's been brilliant. So thank you very much for joining us today, both of you. No, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks both. It's been great fun. Right, that's all we have time for today. But if you want to find out more about what we've discussed in this episode, head over to thebootroom.thefa.com to check out Vinny's article, Top Tips for Moving with the Ball. You can also head over to our YouTube channel, England Football Learning, to access a playlist called Moving with the Ball. While you're on our YouTube channel, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And you can also follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at England Learning. That way you can keep in touch with all of our content. And finally, if you want to chat about today's episode or just want to jump into a coaching conversation, you can do so by swinging over to the FA community. We'll be back soon with another episode of CoachCast, so keep an eye on our social media channels and wherever you get your podcast from. All that's left to say from all of us at England Football Learning, thanks for listening.